listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. When Christians read the Bible, the understandable focus is almost always on the nice parts. The problem is that there are parts of the Bible that aren't so nice. And those parts are starting to get a lot more attention. Seemingly strange commands condemning tattoos? Verses that seem to endorse slavery? How about the verses telling women they should submit and remain silent and can't say anything in the church? What do we do with all the verses that make it feel like you're being forced to choose between the Bible and science? How do we make sense of all this? Because it's all there in the Bible. Good morning, church. So I was 15 years old when I really met Jesus. Like, I grew up in the church, yes. But it was the summer camp. Um, FCA summer camp in the mountains of North Carolina when I really came to know what Jesus had done for me, when I really came to a faith that changed me and it changed my life, I encountered Jesus in a real way. Um, My friend Eric Huffman, I sat down with him this week actually as part of our series of podcasts. Um, If you have been following along, we've been doing an episode. Andy and I um, talked last week about Jesus riding dinosaurs and other crazy things that people say uh, from the sermon last week to dive a little bit deeper into creation and Genesis and what it's actually saying. Um, Eric and I sat down this past week and had a, a great conversation about some of the issues facing our, our church and our denomination. Um, and we, uh, you know, his story, he shares a little bit of his story. I wanna encourage you to go and watch or listen to that this week. Um, Eric grew up in Red Lick, Texas. That's all you like. You don't need much more introduction than when you say, you know, I grew up in Red Lick, Texas. Um, He was a preacher's kid and checked all the good kind of the good Christian kind of boxes growing up. But by his third year at a United Methodist college, he had abandoned his faith and become agnostic. Um, Everything, though, changed for Eric when in 2012 he walked where Jesus walked. For him, that was the encounter. The encounter was in the same place that Jesus had walked on this earth and when he saw evidence to to prove what he had doubted, what he had questioned. See, the question he was asking is, is Jesus really God? Is is Jesus really God or is he truly, um, or is he just a man? And right there in Capernaum, Eric came to that conclusion that he is Emmanuel, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. That God with us changes everything about life. Everything about the way that we approach everything in life. And here's what I wanna wanna say today to kinda add on to our series is this. When we read the Bible, we realize that everything is leading us to Jesus, the entire Story. It is one unified story that is leading us to know Jesus. It is not just about intellectual pursuit, but it is revealing God's truth that he came, that he died, that he was raised to life again, that he invites 
our lives to be transformed and to be raised to life with him. You see, Jesus is the new Adam. We've talked about Eden. We've talked about going back to Eden and looking at God's original intent. We have to get this right. But Jesus is the one who did what Adam couldn't do, what Adam and Eve couldn't do. Jesus makes everything new again when he shows up and when he dies on the cross. The entire Bible is pointing us to Jesus. And Paul in his letters after Jesus' death and resurrection unveils this truth to, uh, to a different group of people than Jesus ministered to in, in the Palestine area. The Greco-Roman world was very different. And Paul was wading into difficult issues in their culture, and he was giving them instruction, and he said in, in his book to the, or his letter to the Colossians, he said this about Jesus. Jesus is the Son, uh, and the Son is the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have, listen to this, all his fullness dwell in him, that the fullness of God was in this man, God, Jesus, and through him reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus died for sin. He was raised to life again to free us from the captivity that we face in this world. Jesus, the one who calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, still calms storms today. In our lives, in our world, and let me just tell you, if there's ever been a, a time that we've needed a storm whisperer, it's right now. Can I get an amen to that? There are storms raging all around us every day. We live in a world that's been shaken, that's been unsettled. We live in a day of seismic shifts and culture and values. We live in a chaotic and a turbulent time, so much so that we're almost immune to the fact of how much around us is in constant upheaval. Think about all that has happened in the last two years. And it really began before that. There's confusion everywhere. And in this confusion, I believe more than ever, we need to proclaim the name of Jesus. We need to point people to the one who is above everything, the one who does calm the storms, because it is all about Jesus. That's why our mission is simple at Foundry. It's to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. That is our rally cry. That is what we are all about. That is what we devote ourselves to. And I'm so thankful to be the pastor of this church. And as long as I'm the pastor of this church, as long as the Lord places me here, I can promise you this, I'll be faithful to proclaim God's truth and lead the church to be faithful to the mission of Jesus. Because he is the answer. He's the answer to all of life's questions. 
I'm thankful for the many people who came before me. I realize that I stand here because I stand on the shoulders of others who have come before me. All of those who, back in 1978, started in, in post-elementary school over in Jersey Village. And then all of those who helped launch this campus back in 2007. Jacqueline, my wife, and I moved here from Florida after a season of prayer and seeking the Lord and asking him where he was leading us. And like no other season in our lives, we felt this confirmation that God was calling us to come here and to start this campus. And when I spent 10 years here as the campus pastor, launching this campus before I was humbled to become the, the lead pastor at Foundry. And I wish that someone had told me back in 2018 to buckle up. I mean, can you imagine stepping into, like if somebody had actually told me, scripted out the four years that would come as soon as I stepped into that role, I'm not sure. I think I would have had second thoughts about doing that. Um, here we are, though. You know, after all of COVID and all the upheaval and all of this, um, 2020, 2020 brought us so much uncertainty, and yet we're standing here now as a church with important decisions before us about our future, about the future of the United Methodist Church and denomination. Let me just say, first of all, this is not where I wanted to be. This was not my desire. I didn't want to be in this place of having to make important and emotional decisions, but but I stand before you believing with all of my heart that God has placed me here to serve this church and to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. That's what I wanna do. Amen. And so, if you're new with us today, let me just say this is gonna be a little different today. Okay, this is not every Sunday. Um, but if you're a member of Foundry, over the last few months, you've been receiving information. We've We've done videos, um, there are printed materials that you can pick up, uh, uh, the, the decision guide it was, uh, is here for you today to pick up with more information, explaining the reasons that ultimately our leadership at Foundry feels that it is time with thousands of other churches to leave the United Methodist denomination. The truth is you could have been attending Foundry for, for a while and not even realize that we were United Methodists because we put so much focus on Jesus and not on denominational issues or conflicts, because that only often, so often, harms the mission of the church. That's not because we don't believe that the heritage of John Wesley, the flavor of Christianity that was birthed in the Methodist movement is important and makes a significant contribution to the Christian church. But the reality is the United Methodist Church that started back in the 60s is a broken and fractured denomination. There are many pastors and seminaries who have abandoned the truth of God and they've not been held accountable and thousands of churches now desiring to be faithful to that mission, to hold firm to the convictions about the word of God are leaving the denomination so that they can fulfill that mission even more faithfully. Now, what gets the most press, can you hand me a bottle of water right there, please, thank you. I should have brought this up here today, I knew that. What gets the most pressed today is human sexuality, issues regarding marriage and human sexuality and what the Bible teaches about that. 
Um, what does the Bible teach? Let me, let, me just, let me just address this quickly because I think that this is a, is a symptom more than it's the root issue. But it's an important thing for us to address. So the first thing that I wanna do is I wanna confess on behalf of the whole church, not just Foundry, the whole church, that too often the church at large has not balanced grace and truth well. The grace and truth of Jesus. The, the Bible teaches us about the way to live. The Bible transforms our lives when we, when we give it authority in our lives. But part of what the Bible does is transforms us from judgmental people to gracious people. And so I say this as one who has friends and loved ones who have felt rejected or unaccepted by the church. And this grieves my heart, it breaks my heart. Because so often we're being misunderstood when we talk about God's truth. If you are someone that you love has experienced hurt or rejection or denial or betrayal by someone who, who says that they're speaking on behalf of God, let me just repent on behalf of whoever's done that to you because that's not of Jesus. Nothing that is demeaning or degrading is of God. The Bible has sometimes, as we've seen through this series, been misused to say things that it's not saying. And that's not just regarding this topic as we've seen. This doesn't fairly represent who Christ is. And while we don't always get it right, let me just, let me just balance that by saying that the church has done a whole lot of good. There are those that bash the church today. There are those that say Christianity, we should just move on from Christianity because it hasn't done any good. There couldn't be a more ridiculous thing to say because in the history of the world, if you just take a look at what the gospel has done for the world, if you think about the people of the gospel and how they have contributed to higher education, to medicine, to hospitals, to launching relief agencies, building water wells in Africa, addressing issues of poverty all around the world, eradicating hunger, and putting an end to slavery and human trafficking, and on and on and on. Friends, the gospel is good news, and the people of the gospel have always been about spreading the good news. Sometimes we've gotten it wrong. But let us not forget all of the good that has come from the movement that Jesus started. The gospel, that's what we're about. A people of the good news. Now here's the thing, and I think this is where a lot of the rub is. The good news doesn't always affirm everything that we think is good and right. The gospel doesn't always affirm all of our preconceived notions. The gospel comes to you, the good news of Jesus comes both in comfort and in conviction. The good news comforts you when you're going through difficulty to know that Jesus is with you. The, the good news of the gospel always can also convicts us of sin and draws us into a deeper life. Jesus did this. 
Somehow, I, and I don't know how in the world this has happened, but somehow Jesus got turned into this soft, delicate little character who just affirms everything that we, we think all the time. That is not who Jesus was. Jesus called us out of, called people out of a life of living for less than what God intended for them. And so we believe around here that the Bible comforts and the Bible convicts. And we believe that the, this is because the Bible is our authority. The Bible is our authority in faith and practice. We don't just, and there's a difference. We don't just treasure this book. We don't just say that this collection of books and letters, that, that it's sentimental to us because we grew up with a grandmother who read us stories out of it. We don't just treasure it, but we actually say that our lives are conformed and transformed to this story that leads us to Jesus. The Bible, God's word to us, teaches us in regards to ethical issues because of God's desire for human flourishing and for the, the world to, to point back to his original Intent. So what does the Bible teach us about human sexuality? Let me put the timeline on the screen. Remember this timeline? This is crucial. If you've been with us, we've been talking about how in the, 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 the scriptures can be broken into six acts. And anytime we're reading scripture, we have to understand where we're reading and we have to understand the whole story. I just want to run back through this real quickly. Act one, God creates in Genesis one and two. He creates and everything is good. Everything is whole. There is shalom. There is, there is perfect unity between God and humanity and all of creation. This is the image that the rest of scripture, though, after act two, when human beings rebel, from Genesis three through Malachi, redemption is initiated and God is restoring, working to restore Eden. And this is where Jesus comes into the picture. Jesus comes and in the gospels we read of his life, how he was born of a virgin, how he preached and taught and called people to repentance, how he did many miracles showing his power over all creation, and how ultimately he gave his life up willingly as a sacrifice for our sin and our brokenness, for all of the mess that happened from act, act two and act three. Jesus came to redeem us from that, to restore Eden. And act five is our mission to all the nations as the followers of Jesus, that one day he will come again. Act six is redemption completed. And so what we remember here is that there is a beginning and an end. And God's ideal is found in the beginning and the end. There is a whole lot of brokenness in between the beginning and the end. And so we're wrestling with things that are ultimately a part of the brokenness that are outside of God's original intent. This is the way that God made us. This is the way God made you. He, in, 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 he, he designed you and created you to know his shalom and yet we're born into a broken world. And so in the garden, here's what we see. We see God's design for all sorts of things, but we see God's design for marriage as well. That marriage is designed by God as a reflection, as a mirror of his very image of being a communal God, of being one of unity, that, that a lifelong, exclusive, and interdependent relationship between a man and a woman 
that God designed sex not primarily for personal satisfaction, but as a mirror of his oneness involving the whole person, physical and spiritual. It's deeper than what we've cheapened it to be. All throughout the Bible, we see other instances of the scriptures pointing us back to this ideal. There's brokenness and there's hurt and there are all sorts of expressions. Any violation of this original intent of what the marriage covenant is intended to be, any sexual expression outside its bounds stands in contrast to God's design. And so we believe the practice of homosexuality is not God's design. Neither is any other, though, sexual expression outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Adultery, pornography, polyamory, polygamy, all of these things that have been a part of human history forever are a part of the brokenness of humanity and not God's original intent. And Scripture instructs us to flee from all sin, including sexual sin. There are many, many scriptures that teach us about the destructive nature of sexual sin, that it can do great harm to us and it can do great harm to the church and great harm to the world. And yet scripture is also very clear that we are to emphasize grace and love and, and to emphasize the sacred worth of all people. And what we're talking about is, is an expression and this, is, this has become a hot button issue because Listen, I know all of us have loved ones or friends or coworkers or people that we know in the world that we live in today. We have people in our lives who we love who are LGBTQ plus persons. And I wanna say emphatically, they are of sacred worth and the church must do better at ministering to people, all people, helping them to experience God's love we don't want the church to be a place where they feel like they aren't welcome. And I want to say emphatically that I insist that that be the case. So I want you to listen to the podcast later because Eric and I are going to unpack a lot more of this in depth about how we can both proclaim the word of God and God's original intent, but lift Jesus up and love people right where they are and create community where they find God and all of us who are struggling with sin in different ways I want, you, I want you to go and I want you to read that because it would take me two hours to unpack this in full, okay? I didn't wanna skip over it because it is something that keeps coming up. I want you to know my heart, okay? But this is not, uh, this is not the root. This is a symptom. This is not the root of what's causing the division in our church, in our denomination, the root issue is this, a lack of consistency and accountability for core convictions about the Bible and about the historic Christian doctrine, even the Apostles' Creed. Things like the divinity of Jesus and the bodily resurrection of Jesus are being called into question. These core historic doctrines of the Christian church. And while it might not be the majority, it's not being enforced. There's no accountability. You've got a system that's broken. Pastors and professors, like the professors at Eric's school where he went, that he told me that they were the ones who really led him to become an agnostic when he went to a United Methodist college. Is the Bible actually true and trustworthy? Is scripture our source of authority? Is Jesus actually 
the son of God? Did he actually rise from the dead after three days in the grave? Friends, these things matter. I love what one of my friends, Mark, said. He said, you know, during COVID, he got an email from a church member about masks. And here's what the email said. If you don't mandate masks in church, we're leaving the church. Five minutes later, he got another email from, from another person in the church. You know what it said already, don't you? This email said, if you mandate masks in church, we're leaving the church. Now, I can't say that that happened exactly like that to me, but my wife's kind of doing this down here. Okay? Listen, we're not talking about masks. We're not talking about little disputes among God's people about what we should do in, in the time like, I realized during that season, I'm never gonna make everybody happy. <laughs> and I know I'm not gonna make everybody happy. But I promise you that I will, to the best of my ability, live by and preach the word of God the way that I see it. To the best of my ability, I will hold us accountable to be a church that stands by God's word, that is accountable to what historic Christianity has taught, and especially about these kinds of core doctrine, these doctrine that are core to our being, to who we are. Who is the church if we let go of these things? Let's go back to Paul's instructions to the church in Colossae. Colossae. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may be, have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in the spirit, and I delight to see how, you, how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Friends, there have always been fine-sounding arguments. It's the enemy's number one tactic. It was the enemy's first tactic back in the garden that led us to all of this mess when he said, has God really said? And he sowed a seed of doubt in Eve's mind, in Adam's mind. See, here's the deal. We live in a world where truth is relative, growingly so. But I don't believe the truth is relative. I believe that God decides what is true and that we should conform our lives to that truth. I believe that God actually knows what is best and he reveals his truth to us in this wonderful collection of books that we hold to be authoritative. And there will always be people who say, did God really say? Because we live in a world of you do you. You do you is not the way of Jesus. So often our, our culture considers pleasure, fulfillment as highest priority. Self-gratification, though, friends, is not a goal for Jesus. 
Self-gratification was not, he wasn't thinking about his own gratification when he went and hung on the cross. As followers of Jesus, we submit everything. We die with Christ. And so I want to keep this all in mind as we think about things in our future and what we will hold to, what we will cling to. I wanna tell you a little bit more of the details of what the team has been doing, what our discernment team has been doing and what we're recommending to the church. Uh, the discernment team and our foundry board and pastors, after many hours of seeking the Lord, studying our options, meeting with representatives from various groups, and, and I can't emphasize this enough, praying and fasting and praying and fasting and seeking the Lord and asking this question. Because there were a lot of questions, right, to ask. But ultimately the question is this, what affiliation can help us be most, most faithful to our mission of helping people know, follow, and share Jesus? We can't, we can't be, a, a, we can't be like, like we're not selling something that we, we, we you know, have a new flavor of the month. Our mission is clear, to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. And the question is, what affiliation, what connection, what decision in regards to the denominational issues can help us fulfill that mission best? And so our board recommended, after much study, that we move forward as part of a network of newly forming independent Wesleyan Methodist congregations. Okay, and th so this, this will be, I, I wanna walk through some of what this means and what it doesn't mean. But I want you to know that at the end of the day, what we asked is how do we best keep Foundry Foundry about our mission? And so if you're here and, and, and you know, you're not, if you ask what's gonna be different on the other side of this, if we vote to go independent as part of this, and what, would, what will be different on nothing? There won't be anything different if we choose to go this route. In terms of all the good things about Foundry, things that you would notice as an average person who's sitting in the pews on a Sunday. What does it mean to do this? I wanna clarify a few things. First, it's not about adopting a Lone Ranger attitude. A completely autonomous congregation is not biblical. This is about a richer and much more meaningful connection without the layers of bureaucracy and the wasted resources that have been so prevalent and that often just become a part of any denominational system. This is instead about us being a part of a new expression of Wesleyan Christianity and seeking to have a greater kingdom impact in our world, in our community, in the lives of people, leading people to know, follow, and share Jesus. So it's not about being a lone ranger, it's not about autonomy, but it's about independently governed so that Foundry can make decisions that are in the best interest of Foundry so that we can be in partnership with people that are like-minded and our resources can go to that mission clearly. Being independently governed doesn't mean that we couldn't join another denomination in the future either. Okay, this is key. Um, we're not planning to jump into another denomination and seeing this as a stepping stone, but our, our leaders were concerned about making that decision really quickly when we didn't know who we would be aligning with, and this allows us more flexibility to do and to make decisions that make the most sense for our church. 
So we could join another denomination down the road if we so choose, if we felt like uh, that, that, that that was best for the church. It's almost like, you know, marrying on the rebound is what it felt like sometimes, okay? And we don't wanna make a quick decision about that. This is a big decision. Um, being independently governed, so it doesn't mean that we couldn't join another denomination. What it does mean is that we would have control of our own narrative. We'd have much more control of our own narrative, rightly or wrongly. Here's, here's a big thing for me, guys. Rightly or wrongly, churches on the other side of these kinds of things, they're always labeled. They're always labeled, rightly or wrongly. It might not be what their heart is, but they get labeled in the process unfairly. When you go through this kind of fight, because it's been a fight at the larger level that we've tried not to allow to seep into the life of this church and affect our mission, but when you go through all of those things, there are scars on the other side. So I wanna go back to what Paul wrote in chapter four of Colossians. Devote yourself to prayer. I wanna ask us to be praying not just before the vote, but after the vote. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I would ask you to pray that for me, for our pastors, for our leaders, that we would clearly proclaim the gospel and then Paul gives them, the people of the church, these instructions. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, in, in, this, in these three instances, if you piece them together, what Paul's saying to the Colossians, stand firm in your faith and be who Christ has called you to be. Be, be firm in that, but also seek what is best for, for your community and for those around you. Be aware of the outside. Be aware of people who disagree with you and live a life that is full of grace, seasoned with salt. Let us pray that God does that in our midst. This is what I want to be a part of, friends. I'm not interested in being the pastor of First Church of the Pharisees. I'm not. I don't wanna be the church that's labeled anti-gay because we are not anti-anyone. The rhetoric, the rhetoric of this debate looks a whole lot more like our political rhetoric in this country and that's a shame because it's polarizing. I don't wanna be a part of that anymore. I wanna move forward in our mission. We will preach God's word. We will draw people to his truth that's in Jesus, and here's what we won't do. We're not gonna do it in an angry way, because that doesn't lead anybody closer to Jesus. I wanna be known instead for, for what we're for, that we are for our community, that we're for kids and students coming to know Jesus in a way that shapes their identity, their whole life, that is stronger than the deceptive voices of this world, that we're for people knowing Jesus, for following Jesus and being conformed into his image, not demanding our own rights, but submitting to his will. 
I believe that the best way we can do this is by being a part of something new on the other side to do even more good for the kingdom of God. And so if you have more questions, I'd invite you next Sunday right here at Fry Road at 4 p.m. We've had a couple of these at Jones Road. We're gonna have another time for Q&A and I would encourage you to come and we'll answer more questions in depth. But I wanna end with this. The bottom line is to keep Foundry Foundry in all of the good ways. Foundry is a church committed to Jesus and we will continue to be that. Foundry is a church that holds scripture as our authority and we will continue to do that. Foundry is a church who loves our community and welcomes all people and we will continue to do that. We've seen God work at Foundry over all of these years and I believe that we are on the brink of God doing something even more amazing, an awakening, a revival that we are praying for and sowing for. But we must not be bound by the forms that we've known. We must be willing to go as the Spirit leads us to be as faithful as we can. John Wesley famously said it, the founder of Methodism, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America, but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast. Friends, let us hold fast to our doctrine, to the spirit that has guided us together, to the discipline of living for God and holding one another accountable, of the message of Jesus. Ultimately, friends, I I love this church and I want to continue to be the leader, the pastor of this church, the shepherd of this church, because I believe that we can continue to do good for our world and make a difference in the lives of people. We will be known for radical generosity and loving kindness. We will be known as a church that believes that God still changes lives. We will not be dismayed. We will hold fast to the things that matter, not giving in to the pressures of this world, but living as salt and light as we proclaim his truth For his word never fails, friends. His goodness never fails, and his word never changes. Amen and amen. We are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.